This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. If you aren't excited talking about your science that you spend every day doing, how am I supposed to be excited about it? So you'll see in that figure, you see what it means? Pretty great, don't you think? Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, the Hello PhD guide to giving a poster presentation and looking pretty good while doing it. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 104. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Dan. Joshua, it is disgusting outside. Yeah, this is probably, would you say, the worst weather we have ever recorded in? Well, I have to, we have to be really clear that we are in North Carolina where this isn't bad weather compared to almost anywhere else, but it's raining a little bit. Yeah, it's 40 and rainy. That's just it's gross. You know, yeah, it's gross. Not, not great. Well, I appreciate you. This is not one of the times that I was like super excited to drive over, yeah. but I'm glad to be here now. It's warm. There's something sparkling in front of me with a. A golden glint. Yeah, I'm gonna try to warm you up and make your trip worthwhile by something a little, uh, something a little special tonight, Dan. We're gonna put aside our normal beer uh, and we're gonna have some bourbon tonight. I couldn't be happier. All right, Dan. We've I think we've had bourbon on the show before. We have indeed. Uh, do we have Woodford Reserve? I should go back to the lists. I don't think we did. I actually did. Do use our handy search feature on our website to make sure we had not had this bourbon. Okay, before. good. Yeah, uh, and we haven't. So tonight, Dan, we are drinking Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, very small batch. Okay, so Jefferson's Bourbon I have heard of and had, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a I think it's a relatively new bourbon, isn't it? The Jefferson's brand. Yeah, I was reading about it. I think they have been around since the late nineties. Which is new in bourbon. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, no, no, that's relatively new. Um, but this ocean, Dan, I know you've heard of this. We've talked about this before. I was pretty excited uh, when I first learned about this bourbon a while back. It's briny. All right. Well, let's let's talk about it, Dan. So this is different than the tradition. Well, actually, in some ways, this is identical to the normal Jefferson's bourbon that you would get at your ABC store or wherever. Same mash, same distilling process. Yeah. The difference is this bourbon was loaded onto a ship for several months. And then just brought back? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it, Dan. So this is this is a little bit of the marketing speak from, from Jefferson's. This bourbon started out as an experiment with just three bourbon barrels in a curious effort to discover what would happen if bourbon was left to weather the extreme elements, temperature fluctuations, salt air, and the gentle rocking of the ship. The result was a thick, dark bourbon that showcases complex flavors reminiscent of other spirits. The almost black color and caramel flavors resemble a dark rum as the sugars within the barrels caramelized. The briny, savory taste from the barrels breathing the sea air. But at its core, it's a true bourbon. So That is marketing speak, Josh. I will agree with you. You, you painted a lovely picture. Yeah, so really, that's all this is. It's bourbon that was loaded onto a ship and sailed around the ocean for several months. But that's what I knew about the bourbon before tonight when I was doing some homework. Okay. So listen to this, Dan. So this is what I just learned. Are you going to let me drink the bourbon? Uh, uh, not yet. Not okay, yet. okay, I'll wait. Actually, you know what? Let's drink the bourbon, and then I'm going to tell you there's a science connection to this bourbon. Okay, here we go. I'm going to be curious if you taste the savory, salty, briny air. I don't even need to taste it. The smell is amazing. 
Yeah, I will say, I don't think the color is as dark as claimed. They claim a dark, almost black bourbon. That is not the color of this bourbon, but... No, it's not. There's a, a sweet scent to it, and a lot of caramel flavor, and it's, it's a very smooth bourbon. So a lot of times, if you drink a, a bourbon that's a little rougher, or maybe not, uh, maybe off the shelf that's highest in the store... Or a younger bourbon. Or a younger bourbon, mm-hmm. it will claw the back of your throat and then kind of go up your nose and make you choke. And this is not that. This is a, a really smooth drink. Yeah, we should mention we are drinking this neat. We're drinking this straight uh, out of the glass. And you're right. Um, it certainly has a little bit of bourbon burn, but more of that sweet, sweet smoothness, probably from spending an extra several months rocking around in the barrel out at sea. I'm not even going to ask how much it costs because I couldn't afford it, probably. Um, it was under $100. I'll just say that. And uh, it's also under a million dollars. You could have said that. <laughs> well, I got this as a Christmas gift uh, last year. So I need new friends. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Dan, there, as if that's not cool enough, um, one, the fact it's a bourbon that was out in the ocean for a while, that's neat. Um, the fact it tastes good, also cool. But there is a science connection to this bourbon. Let's hear it. Yeah, so it, it turns out the the founder of Jefferson's Bourbon had a friend um, named Chris Fisher who is part of a global nonprofit called OSearch. And what OSearch does is they study and track key marine species such uh, that's as... O-C-E-A-R-C-H, not like O-Search. Yeah, that's right. O-Search, yeah. O-C. You're right, like ocean, yeah. ocean search, search yeah. mixed together. Uh, but anyway, they study and track key marine species such as great white sharks and tiger sharks. And the man's name was Fisher? I'm sorry? <laughs> Fisher, F-I-S-C-H. Oh, okay. <laughs> he studies them yep. <laughs> with a hook. <laughs> delicious. It is. One's delicious. Yeah. So, so anyway, the vessel that, that these bourbon barrels are on is actually a research ship. This is really an at, this ship is an at-sea laboratory. Okay. So the, the bourbon is not just floating around for no reason, wasting fuel. They're actually going out to do something and the bourbon's just along for the ride. Yeah, and it seems like I was reading a little bit about this. We can post a link to it. Uh, but a lot of what they're doing is trying to uh, learn more about the ecology, physiology, and behavior of sharks in the North Atlantic, um, and specifically um, great white sharks. We need to have these people on the show. <laughs> maybe, Sounds amazing. Maybe we'll call them up. So isn't, it, isn't that fun, though, like these researchers on this ship, but now every voyage they're on, there's like three barrels of Jefferson's bourbon okay. <laughs> strapped to the front. Important follow-up question. How drunk are these these researchers, <laughs> and how many barrels of bourbon do you think go quote unquote missing? Yeah, I can see. Uh, oh, I fell overboard. Jefferson's founder Trey Zoller is like, I'm going to weigh those barrels exactly, <laughs> and they get back. Um, they open it up; it's full of chum. What happened? <laughs> That's where that salty taste comes yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the other thing, Dan, that they do is every bottle that you get has um, printed on it which voyage number it comes from. So you can, as you can see, this is voyage number five. Oh, it's such a memorable voyage, wasn't it? Well, and if you go to their website, Dan, they are up to voyage number uh, 15. And I'm actually, I was disappointed to learn that starting with voyage number seven, there actually is a captain's log. You can read about what the weather conditions were on that voyage. So I don't know what mine was, but I looked at uh, voyage 10, because that was interesting. It departed Savannah at the end of June. There was a lot of rough waters down to the Manzanillo at the north end of the Panama Canal. Um, and then lots of other uh, rough weather around Australia, back through the Philippine Basin and North Pacific. So due to the extremely rough sea, the bourbon was aggressively agitated, picking up more dark, intense flavors than some of their other voyages. So that's pretty neat, huh? 
that is neat. And, and I just can imagine you wanting to collect each series <laughs> so that you can compare. That's right. This one, uh, was there rough water around Australia on this particular batch? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was reading all these before you got here, and there were a couple trips that were more calm, and then there were some that had really hot weather, and those apparently led to... Anywhere they were attacked by pirates. <laughs> that one's not available I for purchase, yeah. actually. So anyway, Dan, this is the Jefferson's Ocean aged at sea. Well, I have to say the bourbon is quite good. The stories are even better. So thank you for sharing those. No problem. Hey, Dan, I have some more good news. Besides this bourbon, we have a new Patreon patron. Excellent. Special thanks to Megan, who is the newest member of our growing list of Patreon patrons. And we are looking forward to talking with her more on our Slack channel. Awesome. Well, thank you, Megan. And Josh, don't forget about the Promega Art Contest for Creative Scientists. Uh, remember, this is an art contest specifically for uh, any scientist. And you can submit digital art, photography, pictures from your research, anything you want, really. Just go to promega.com slash art contest, and they will pick five winners to receive a prize pack and be featured in the Promega Art Showcase starting in January. Uh, and one grand prize winner will have the chance to actually go to Madison, Wisconsin, hang out at the Promega headquarters, meet R&D scientists, and attend the opening of the art show. So that's a, a pretty awesome way to get a nice trip to Madison, Wisconsin. That's really great. And all you have to do is, is go to promega.com slash art contest and submit your image there, right? I'm anxious to see some of the artwork. I know we have a lot of creative listeners. Yeah, we will certainly feature some of those on our own social media and website. All right, Dan, so our topic this week was actually suggested on our Patreon Slack channel. So Awesome. So our patron, Arlen, had to say, Hi, everyone. I recently returned from my first real holiday in about five years, a month in Europe. I'm catching up on everything, including podcasts I fell behind on, and I just listened to episode 97 on attending and making the most of conferences. Very timely, since I leave for Hong Kong in two days to attend the International Psycho-Oncology Conference. Quite a world traveler. I'm jealous. I know. Also, while away, I had abstracts accepted for poster presentations at two conferences early in the next year, so I'd love if you guys could follow up on your comment about dedicating an episode on how to do poster presentations right. We did kind of promise to do it, so we should probably do it. Well, we are delivering on that promise now. Fantastic. And I'm actually surprised 104 episodes in that we have not talked about giving a poster presentation. Yeah, it is a ubiquitous feature of science training to go to poster sessions and to present posters. Even if you never achieve the level of giving a talk at a scientific meeting, you will make a poster. Absolutely. And interestingly, Dan, I spent most of my day today going to poster presentations and judging posters of grad students. So you are saturated with all the do's and don'ts, I hope. Fresh in my mind. All right, Dan. So what we'll do now is let's just go through how to present a poster well. And look good doing it. <laughs> and look good doing it. All right. So what I wanted to start with is let's just talk about what's so great about poster sessions. I mean, as we know, Dan, every conference you go to, at least scientific conference, there's posters. Yeah. The best thing, styrofoam cups of terrible coffee. <laughs> uh, they're out of any, they don't have half and half. You got to use powdered creamer, right? Push, push pins. Push pins. Yeah. Isn't it satisfying to push those push pins in those little boards? I think it's really fun. Yeah, you get the little click as it goes in. Yeah, it's great. A couple of things I like about poster presentations. Probably the biggest one is it's way more casual than a formal talk. I'm a fairly casual, laid-back person, Dan. Uh, but I think some of the more enjoyable 
uh, scientific communication that I have done in my career is at a poster session. I much actually I much much prefer going to poster sessions than sitting and listening to talks. You think the poster presenter feels more relaxed, or you as the viewer feels more relaxed? What is the casual part of that? Uh, certainly, as someone attending, I feel more relaxed and interested. Because think about Dan at a talk. Uh, well, okay. At a poster presentation, I have a lot more control over how I spend my time, right? I can sort of shop and peruse as a viewer, right? And say what looks interesting, what doesn't. If I go to a talk and five minutes in, I realize, oh, this is not really what I thought it was going to be. And you're not like like me. You don't yell, shut up (laughs) from the back. I mean, you're stuck, right? Yeah, you are. You're kind of stuck there. So Hopefully you brought a crossword puzzle. (laughs) That's right. Um, So I I like that it's casual. And as a presenter too, Dan, I've had some really good experiences, you know, talking one-on-one with people about my research. And I feel like in that setting, I've gotten a lot more useful feedback than I ever did in those questions at the end of a talk. Those tend to be more perfunctory. Yeah, no doubt about that. And being able to do one-on-one, I think, is a little bit less nerve-wracking or, or one-on-two or three, but it's not a whole room full of you know faces you can't see in a dark room where you're playing to an audience and you can't read their reactions. Certainly not for the entire group. Definitely. And, and that leads a little bit into the other big advantage I see of a poster presentation. And you alluded to this, Dan, a little bit. When you give a talk, you have one shot to hopefully hit the right level for all those people in the, the room. middle, yeah, yeah, and you know, likely there's some people in the room that are experts in your what you're talking about, and there are other people, maybe it's the undergrad who's brand new to science, right? And somehow you have one talk that you can give that you somehow have to try to hit that right level, and and you never will hit the exact right level. But in a poster presentation, when someone comes up to your poster, the first thing you can do is you can say oh, hey, how much do you know about this, right? What's your background? What do you find interesting about this? And you can tailor how you present your poster differently every time you give it, depending on the person who's standing there. So is that the first suggestion is to try to gauge or scope the audience in each person that comes up? Absolutely. That would be my first suggestion is right after you say hello, just say, oh, hey, how much do you know about Hey, are you smart or not smart? <laughs> Where should we begin? Oh, goodness. But, you know, I would say, oh, well, I study Helicobacter pylori. How much do you know about H. pylori? Um, oh, well, I've studied H. pylori for the last 25 years. Would be a very different approach than someone who said, oh, well, actually, I just, I'm a freshman in college. What What's, is life exactly? <laughs> what is H. pylori, right? I've never heard of that before. Yeah. I just thought your image looked cool, you know. So I think that's a real advantage. Um, and the other thing too, Dan, is tip two: a lot of flashy clip art, <laughs> so that people are attracted to your poster. If only you could do animated gifts on these oh, posters. Oh, someday. Right? Uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, you're giving this presentation, but you're not, you're not just out on your own winging it. You've got the whole poster right there, like a roadmap guiding you along. So it's harder to get lost because you basically are following right along what you've put together. And we'll talk a little bit about how to put your poster together well. Um, but if you do that, then you're never going to forget what you wanted to Hard to get lost. you got about. the prompts right there, yeah. Exactly. It really is like following a map, and it's right there right there for you. It's a great networking opportunity. You know, people are there to meet you, and they are there to learn about science. So I think that's always good. And I've been to some poster presentations where wine and beer is served. 
That would definitely be better than the coffee. <laughs> and those are actually, I think, the not most at fun. ten a.m. But yeah, no, not at ten a.m. Because you know people relax and they have a. I've been to some great, great poster sessions at conferences where you know it's towards the end of the day and there's some appetizers and some beer and wine and people are relaxed and it's just fun. I feel like this is how science should be. And it reminds me, Dan, of when we talked about how science used to be back in the day, where yeah. people got together and just. Didn't didn't we do an etymology where the word symposium meant drinking together? You're right, Dan. And that's, yeah, this is what this is. It's what it is, you know. So, so anyway, Dan, I think those are some things that are great about poster sessions. So, Dan, before we get too much into this, you've been to plenty of poster sessions, I assume. I certainly have, yes. What would you say, as you think back on your past experiences, are there any common turnoffs, any posters you went to that really kind of missed the mark? And, and, and why? Yes, um, I think think I would struggle if there are 100 million acronyms that aren't mm. explained. I'm definitely going to keep walking if I don't see some kind of image on there, right? I've, I've got this big board and if it's just paragraphs of text, I, I'm i going to have a hard time finding something to land on to know what it is I'm looking at. Does that make sense? Yeah, so 24 square feet of text is probably... It'd be rough. Gonna, It'd yeah. be rough. And it, I wouldn't want to go ask the person to read it to me either. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't want to engage that poster. Yeah, you're going to avoid that. And and that's probably the most that's probably the most common turnoff with, with posters is too much text. So that's a big thing you want to you wanna look out for, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I also think, Dan... Um, too long. You know, so I, I feel like when I go up to a poster, there's a certain expectation of how long you expect to be there, right? 60 minutes, right? For a talk. <laughs> the session goes for 60 minutes. I think there's a general expectation of I'm going to give you the next five to six minutes, right? In general, unless it's really cool and we're having a great conversation. So, you know, another common turnoff is when someone takes a really long time to go through their, their presentation. You know, you're five minutes in and you haven't gotten out of the materials and methods yet. And, and you're I mean, gnawing your arm off. And you feel trapped, right? Because yeah, at that do. point, it's one-on-one and you can't just walk away, right? Like, hey, great work. See ya. <laughs> really interesting. Bye. No, you're right. And and the the person presenting the poster is excited and probably a little nervous. And so yeah. they may be rambling a little bit or they may be going too deep for, for where you need to be in terms of an, a general understanding. So I get it. I get it why they are latching onto you and and talking as much as they possibly can but try to notice that in yourself as you're presenting and yeah. make sure you don't do it definitely we'll talk about ways when ways you see that. when you see people when their eyes start looking other places when you see them shifting back and forth there are body language cues that will tell you you need to speed you need it to up keep it going that's right you know, so then the other sort of common turnoff is just too too boring and when i say boring what i really mean is is the presenter not seeming very excited yeah. about what they're talking about. Here's my poster on the RAF, RAF, Mag, ERC <laughs> pathway. Because, you know, the reality is, if you, if you aren't excited talking about your science that you spend every day, every day doing, how am I supposed to be excited about it, right? Yes, I agree with you. And, so. and that may be a function of you just being tired that day, but you do need to turn it up. You need to consciously decide to feel a little peppy or be a little energetic because you may not have it in you at that moment, but you need to turn it on. Exactly. And you know, what I'm not saying is, you know, you need to be a cheerleader. Oh my gosh. And then I did this gel and I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't wait to go in the lab to see that, you know, that's, I'm not talking about being false, but just being engaged in the, in the presentation. Then I ran a gel. You won't believe what happened next. <laughs> Click here. Uh, actually, Dan, I've, 
I was judging posters at a conference last year, and I walked up. Uh, I looked at my poster designation and walked up to it, and there was a gentleman standing there with a fidget spinner. You know these fidget spinners? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so you know he had it. And it was a very nice fidget spinner, I will say. Very, it was a high quality one. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, he's just standing there waiting for somebody. That better be part of his research. <laughs> the effect of fidget spinners on something. He never put it away. <laughs> He, he held and was spinning the fidget spinner the entire time he was talking. He was giving his presentation. He even used it to actually point out things on his poster at, at various times. It was it was very odd. It's weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. I wonder maybe it was helping calm him down. Maybe so. He had on this nice suit, like he was very well dressed, but then he had his fidget spinner. So he's playing Nintendo DS while he talks to you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've actually also seen people presenting posters with their earbuds in or headphones on. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not good either. Okay, but these are some common turnoffs. Too much text, too long, not being excited. So let's talk about how not to do that, but how to actually have a good good poster experience. Okay, so a few things that you need to know about before you go into it is first know who your audience is going to be. So is this a presentation you're going to be giving at a very specific scientific conference where experts in your little niche of a field are going to be? Or is this going to be a huge general conference where there are going to be people who are generally science literate but aren't necessarily well-versed in the specific nuances of your research? Yeah, this is my cytoskeleton group, or this is the Cell Biology Society. Those are exactly. different levels of that. Exactly. And so then, then the other thing to think about is how much time is it going to take me to actually put this together? Okay, and and you want to probably try to give yourself... A long time, right? A long time, right, to put a poster, especially if this is the first poster you've put together on this topic, it might take you a little while. Um, but another thing you need to remember is don't just think about, well, what's the absolute deadline when I need to have this done before I can print it, before the I need to get on the plane to go to the conference. But there are other people that probably need to look over it too, like maybe your PI or some other um, collaborators or folks in your lab. And, and this is a mistake that I have made before, Dan, is I know how long it's going to take me to do it. But then what I don't appreciate is I probably need to give the other people who need to give their suggestions more than 24 hours, right? Oh, if you could give this back to me by tomorrow, that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, I just printed this, <laughs> so you can't make changes. But what do you think? <laughs> That's right. So so make sure you factor in time needed to give, get edits from some of the other stakeholders in your PI. And then and then the last thing um, to think about before you start is, is don't forget that you're going to need to practice presenting the poster, not just putting the poster together. So important. Uh, you think the whole thing speaks for itself, but as you try to present it, you're going to find gaps in logic. And when you find the gaps in logic, you're going to need to make changes. So make sure you do it before it's printed. Definitely, Dan. And actually, I wasn't super explicit, so I'm glad you said it that way. You want to practice presenting it while it's still on your computer screen, not after you yes. print it. Because <laughs> it's going to be worse if you have to just take a Sharpie and X some stuff out and tape some things over top. White out. I have actually seen that, some white out on the poster. Uh, okay. We discovered a cure for cancer. Scratch, 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 scratch. <laughs> Did not. <laughs> All right, Dan. So let's talk about how to make a great poster. All right. So the first thing is I think you want to have your poster tell a story. And a lot of these things for posters are also true for, for talks. But, you know, along those lines, you want your poster to seek to answer one and only one question. But Josh, you might hear someone say, 
I've discovered so many things mm, and so answered so things. many questions. Mm. How can I limit it to just one? You know, and a lot of a lot of grad students, and this is actually a really good thing, maybe they have multiple projects that they're working on, right? It's actually good to have multiple lines in the water. But if you think about, Dan, as we mentioned, um, you're probably going to be walking people through a five to seven minute explanation of your poster. You probably can't in-depth tell me about two or three projects in five to seven minutes. So what you want to do is focus on one nice tight story for this presentation, right? It doesn't mean this is the only thing you've ever done, but to have a really nice presentation, focus on one question. And the story might have multiple figures and several experiments you had to do to answer it, but it is a single thematic element. Absolutely. And I want to say, Dan, it is also okay to use other people's figures from your lab to set the stage, especially if you're newer to the lab. You know, a lot of times people will fret if they're they're just starting out. They're like, oh, I don't know that I have enough data. That's why you have multiple authors on your poster, too. There's probably your project may very well be built on the work that was done before you, the postdoc who left the lab before you got there. Totally okay to use their figures, too. Just make sure you put their name on the paper. And other people will be using your figures, so it all comes back. Absolutely. Uh, But like most scientific communication, what's really key is clarity, brevity, simplicity. Um, This is not the time to just throw all your data um, or fancy jargon to impress people. That will actually lead to the opposite. So you want to be very discriminating in what you choose to put in the poster. And what you can really do is use that main question as your filter for what you are going to put on that poster. Editing, I think, is the hardest part of any endeavor, any creative endeavor, is taking things out, things that you love, uh, but they don't actually contribute. You've got to get rid of them. We have so many not really that hilarious stories and quips that we've deleted from this very podcast every week. And think of all the terrible <laughs> ones we left in. Oh, that just tells yeah. you That's the true. level. That's true. All right, Dan. Well, so so another another big thing you want to do is you want to emphasize figures and minimize text. All right. So there are very few things in life that are absolutes, but this is one of them. No paragraphs on the poster. So this is a departure from every poster I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you're, you're breaking some traditions here. I'm curious. So sometimes at a poster session, I will go ahead of time and mm. I will look through the posters to see if I actually care enough to go speak to the person. And it helps a little bit to have a, a narrative arc through the poster. But what you're saying is I don't need paragraphs. I need um, clearly labeled figures and maybe a... A figure description. Yeah, maybe well. maybe some bullet points, right? Um, I will say the one potential caveat to this. So the abstract. A lot of people say, "Well, do I put my abstract on the poster?" And the answer is, it depends, right? And so Dan, what you mentioned, if it's the type of conference where people put all the posters up at the beginning and they stay up the whole time, then yes, it actually might be good to leave that on there because there might be times when people come to see your poster that you are not there. However, there are other presentations where there will never be a time that you are not at the poster. In those scenarios, there's no need to have long, long paragraphs of text because who's going to stand there and read these paragraphs when you're standing right there, right? Yeah, and it's super annoying if people read to you. Yeah, exactly. So you really want to avoid long paragraphs of text because people probably aren't going to read them and they're just taking up space. Fair, controversial, but fair. Yeah, so I think figures are best. Um, If you can display something as an image or a schematic, 
that's certainly best. Um, but bulleted lists are okay as well. You know, stick with the key points, but not too many. More is not better, I guess, is the, the take home for, for really a lot of these things. Okay. Another minor thing, be consistent with fonts, font sizes, and spacing. I don't know if I actually have an opinion on whether I think serif or sans serif would be better in this situation. Usually for print media, you use serifs. And for screens, you sans serif, but this is a printed giant screen. <laughs> I just don't know. I have always been a sans serif guy. But, you are. Uh, <laughs> you're a minimalist, Josh. <laughs> don't like all that decoration. But that being said, I don't necessarily care what font you use. Just use the same font. Yeah, you do. Not wingdings. <laughs> okay, all right. Not comic sans. I think what you want, and then I know this is something you do quite well too. Papyrus. <laughs> is, I've used that in the day for sure. As you want to be consistent, if you use a font as your heading on your introduction, make sure you use that same font and same font size and same font color for your results section, for your materials and methods. What pro, uh, Just for people who are now old and haven't done this in a while, what program are we using to build these? So, you know, I have changed through the years. When I was a grad student, I used Illustrator. And nowadays... Solid choice. I don't touch Illustrator with a 10-foot pole. I use PowerPoint now. Okay. So you just make the resolution gigantic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just change. I just change the, the slide size. I make a one-slide presentation and change the, the page setup to whatever the dimensions of my poster are. Maybe it's four feet, six feet by four feet or whatever it is. Um, and just do it right in PowerPoint. And I have found that to be way easier, and it works just as well. You probably have a lot of the content in PowerPoint already in slides, so you can kind of copy-paste a lot of it. Exactly. So that would be my recommendation. Pro tip. Unless you are a guru at Illustrator. I mean, Illustrator is a very powerful program, but what I don't want you to do, and what I found I was doing, is spending as much time trying to figure out how to get Illustrator to do what I wanted to do And I think I was just trying to feel cool. It's a trap. It is a trap. (laughs) Powerful, but there's a learning curve, and it's not worth adding that anxiety to your poster creation. Definitely. I want to say too, Dan, and we're kind of talking about poster, general poster design right now. Don't be afraid of some white space. So not only don't be afraid of it, make sure your poster has white space. It's how people people's eye can follow the content down the page and follow the structure. Definitely. And I think I think sometimes people. you know, I think when students are putting posters together, they want to make it, I feel like all of us as grad students, we have this little fear inside that there's somebody out there that doesn't think we've worked hard enough and doesn't think we've produced enough. So I think we compensate for that in some ways by trying to pack as much stuff into our poster or, or expand it out to make sure we're filling up all the space. Like, look how much I did. Lazy people use white space. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, I guarantee if you go to a poster session and walk around and you see those posters that look like they're chock full of information, sometimes I'm hesitant to go up to those because I start thinking like, oh, I don't want to like get into that. That's yep. going to be a lot. Too um, deep. And, you know, I think about Dan, I kind of like to think about interior design sometimes. And one thing that I heard someone talking about with interior design is in our homes, we think a lot about what we're going to put into them. But what we don't think about is every time you put something in your home, you have actually eliminated some empty space. And that empty space actually has value within our home. And it's the same way with a poster. Everything you put in that poster, well, there's a cost. You're taking up some amount of of white space. Yeah. And and it's one of the principles of graphic design. I mean, and maybe someday we should do this, get a somebody who's an expert in graphic design on the show, but there are principles of hierarchy and of white space and, and ways to produce fonts that would be really useful. I took a class um, when I was in graduate school in graphic design at the journalism school, and it was one of the best classes I took. I just audited it, but I used that 
information, the things that I learned to make presentations all the time now. And it's, it's just transformative. So if you have access to that type of class, I would take it and you will use it for the rest of your life. Well, that means you are our expert in graphic design. Yeah, because I took one you semester should. of graphic design. Hey, one yeah. more than I did. Um, and, then, and then the last sort of general design uh, topic is, is stick with a standard layout. So for scientific posters... Mobius strip poster. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's a certain place that people expect to see certain parts of the poster. This poster keeps <laughs> starting over. No? But you know what I mean, Dan. So what you're used to seeing is, you know, you've got the intro and whatever is on the top oh, left. Oh, I see what you mean. Right? Yes. And then, you know... Don't the, get cute. Yeah, and the materials and methods comes down in the bottom left corner. Then the results are kind of in the middle. Then the conclusion's over on the right. And you yeah. just generally, if I'm looking for a certain part of the poster... I generally know where I should look for it. So what you probably don't want to do is try to get super creative and mix things up because you're probably just going to frustrate your... Exactly. Yeah, we are are trained to read posters. Don't mess with our training. Yeah. Okay, so that's some sort of general design tips. But let's just go through a few of the parts and talk briefly about them. So first thing is the title. That's the first thing most people are going to look at. That's what's going to be printed in those books or CDs they give you. That's what I'm. That's what I'm skimming to find out whether I'm interested in your presentation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and one thing I want to say about title is there are a lot of ways you can go with it, but do keep in mind that the title of a poster presentation is very different than a title you might choose for a manuscript because for a manuscript, oftentimes the title really is the take-home message or the conclusion of the of the paper itself. Whereas a poster, it's okay to be a little more catchy. Uh, to try to draw people in and interest them. Now, you want it to be specific enough that I know generally what the poster is about, what topic it's on, but I really like poster titles that maybe are a question. Uh, so I know, like, ooh, I wonder what the answer to that is. I, be- I better go to that poster and find out. I like poster titles that are answers. I like the question within there. the answer, like the two-part. Okay. This poster, colon, does it matter? <laughs> exactly. I love that. I love that. I love that format. Click I mean, here to learn more. <laughs> you joke, but I really like that format. You, you know, you're trying to lure people over, right? Yeah, it is. It's a hook. It's a way to advertise. I like that. Yeah. Um, so that's the title. Then the intro. So the intro, I think what you want to do here is give people the information they need to understand your main question or hypothesis, but not really more, right? That's really the goal here is if I read through your intro, uh, whether it's bullet points, uh, hopefully not a paragraph, although you don't mind the paragraph. I don't know. I'm... I'm I would like to hear from listeners to find out what the what the gestalt is or what the general population thinks because I think there's a maybe a place for it. But I, when you say bullet points, I think that would be just fine for me. I, I feel like I just need something to be able to consume it as not just a picture. Yeah, because I may not no, know I what's agree. going on. I agree with that. Bullet points are great, but yeah, figures or schematics if you can. But yeah, but basically, in whatever way you choose, you want to just convey the information that someone would need to then understand the next part of your poster, which is the statement of your hypothesis or main question. Don't forget this, okay? So I told you I judge posters today. I would say I was the judge on three different posters. Two of them did not have this part of the poster, and it made it actually a little harder because that's the first thing I look for is when I go to a poster, I quickly scan to see, okay, what's this poster about? And I love a poster that says, main question or objective. So or this hypothesis. is like a whole section. It says hypothesis. Right under introduction. Yeah. Put a little section. It's one sentence and it says, the goal of this project is to understand X. And I read that and I'm like, okay, cool. 
They're trying to understand X, how they do that. But if that's not there, then, well, what do I have to do? I have to like go up to whatever that intro section is and try to deduce what this whole thing's about. Whereas they could have just told me, right? Are you strict about it being actually a hypothesis? The sentence you said, I think was, you know, an illustration, but our goal is to understand X is not a hypothesis. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's I'm a not statement of purpose, that. maybe. Yeah, I'm not picking okay? on that. You know, I think almost sort of the what's the main question? That's what I most like. And it, you could follow that with a hypothesis, right? You could follow that. Well, we hypothesize that it's this. And so yeah. we're going to test that. Um, Do cell phone towers affect bees? Like that's something I can be like, oh, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I need cool. to find out about this. But, it, but see, that orients you much quicker than if that wasn't there. And instead, you're looking up the intro. I'm bees. looking at figures about cell phone, cell phone towers, towers. Are now all yeah. over the place. And then some bees. And you're like, oh, what's what? Yeah, Whereas if right. they just put that one sentence and and by setting that up you better answer that question for me right if you if you ask that question in the poster i better know the answer by the end yeah it gives me a framework by which a starting point by which to interpret everything you're telling me right it kind of orients me because again i walk up i have no idea what's going to happen here right i need to get in the zone of what what is happening here what am i trying to understand but but one thing i'll say is in general and i tell my students this all the time is if you're a grad student or postdoc or somebody working in a lab now, you should be able to tell me what's the main question of the project I'm working on. And you just take a moment to think of that. You should be able to think of that. And you should be able to tell someone, oh, yeah, the main thing I'm trying to figure out is X. Write it down. Yeah, write it down. And if you can't come up with that, then take some time and think about that. Like, what am I doing here? What is the main goal of what I'm trying to do here, right? Um, so I would encourage encourage people to stop and, and make sure they, they have a clear vision of that. Okay, so anyway, so I think it's good to put that on your poster. And then the methods section. And this is a section where clearly a figure or diagram or some sort of little flow chart is an effective way to, to demonstrate that. Are there methods that are you can just take for granted? And and how much of a method section do you need? I mean, so say I'm doing cell biology and I'm commonly doing Western blots and cell cultures and immunofluorescence and whatever. I don't need to describe all of that. No, I don't think, you know, I don't think you really need to describe how the procedures are done at all. You know, what you could do is maybe you're assessing some phenotype by... We're going to use Western blot to look at how much protein's expressed. We're going to do fluorescence to see where the protein goes. Um, but all this is starting from some cancer cells or whatever, right? So you could draw, here's some cancer cells, and then you could draw some different arrows coming off of it with like some little blots and write protein expression and some little fluorescent Yeah, here's cells. where I add my drug. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. So if I look at me, okay, here's generally the types of experiments they're going to do. Got it. It's, it's more of a an experimental flow or or workflow basically for your research yeah. question to the results that will lead to your conclusion at the end. Yeah, it's more it's more as someone viewing it, I should I should be able to see what experiments what types of experiments and methods yeah. did you use? But not but like the method section how. of your paper, which is here's yeah. how many microliters we used. Yeah. And, yeah. My goal is not to repeat it at that point. Got it. So all right. So then we move to the results. All right. So this is sort of the meat of the poster. Again, the number one thing here is not too much. So we're going to use that main question as the filter when we put results in. So if it's a result that really moves you towards understanding the answer to that main question or testing that hypothesis that you stated earlier in your poster, put that in. But you know, if it's something that's kind of tangential or doesn't directly fit into answering that question for this specific story you're going to tell, maybe this poster is not the best place to include that, that figure. Painful, but take it out. 
take it out. Some other important things is make sure the figure is large enough to be legible, uh, but also make sure text, including figure legends and access labels, are also legible from at least four feet away. And that can be hard to do sometimes. You know, I, one thing I used to struggle with is, okay, well, I'm typing on Word or PowerPoint. This is size 16 font. Is size 16 font. What does that really look like on a poster once I print it out? Well, one little tip, something you can do is you could type some different font sizes in Word, print it out, place that piece of paper on the floor, and then look down at your feet at the floor. And if you can easily read it, it's big enough to go on your poster. What if you're seven feet tall? <laughs> then it's definitely big enough. Okay, great. If you're only three and a half feet tall, though, you might find a taller friend to yeah. see if they can. Ask them if they can read it. <laughs> read it. So some other things you can do. Common question is, well, how much of a figure legend do I need to put? Right, and that was my figure. question. If you're just putting figures, how am I going to understand what the figure is about? Yeah, and again, Dan, I think you brought up a very valid point that you sometimes like to go by and look at posters on your own. I think this is another important time when it depends on the format of the uh, conference or presentation you're going to. If it's the type of thing, again, where your poster is going to be hanging there without you for an extended period of time, you might want to put a little more detail in a figure legend format underneath the figure to help orient the person looking at your poster with, well, what's going on here? What's the type of experiment? But if again, if it's the type of thing where you will always be there at your poster, then I think really the main thing you need is the figure itself and you need a nice descriptive title. And so this is something that um, often gets overlooked. But a really great choice for the title of your figure would be maybe either really one of two things, either the question that you're trying to answer with that figure, with that experiment, is protein X upregulated in this condition, or the conclusion Protein X is upregulated under this condition. I like the conclusion better in that case because yeah. I don't even have to interpret the figure. I mean, I can <laughs> no, right. I can look at it and then decide whether I agree with you. Yeah. But if I'm having trouble getting oriented, I can still tell you what you thought it meant. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And and really, you know, you got to think about you. You don't want your the people who are coming to your poster to work too hard. You want to make it as easy as possible for them to understand what's going on. And I totally agree, Dan. So writing. The conclusion, your conclusion of that figure as the title of the figure does make it super easy for the person viewing your poster. I'm just imagining the extremely coy poster presenter who's like, so you'll see in that figure, you see what it means? <laughs> pretty great, don't you think? And like, no, I don't know what this is about. Like, yeah, but it's pretty impressive. Uh, you can That's just state you your do. conclusion. Yeah, yeah you just say, you can read it right there. Are you impressed? <laughs> I'm not impressed. Yeah, so using your titles well. Um, But what you don't want to do is have a title that says Western Blot. (laughs) And I've seen (laughs) that. that? (laughs) I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. Or or actually, this is probably, that's sort of a silly example, but more common, it just says Protein X. Like, this is the Western Blot where we look at Protein X. Well, that's great, but that doesn't tell me probably labeled in that column of yeah. the gel, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, Josh, did you label your axes or just kind of let people guess? Always label okay. them. Always label them. Um, oh, we should talk about that at some point. We should do an episode on doing a present, how to do a presentation well. Yeah. Yeah. You always want to, you always want to, when you walk someone through a figure, tell them what the axes are, you know, just to orient them. That's always a good yeah, thing to do. Yeah, it's tough to read sideways and at that small font typically. So yeah, it is, it is worth orienting them. It is. And, you know, and, and then sort of a last sort of general thing is avoid really long data tables or overly complex figures. You know, as a general rule, 
don't put anything on your poster you don't plan to talk about. So if you have this really long gel with you know 30 lanes, but only the first 10 are important. Cut it out, yeah. Just cut it out, right? You don't have to leave the whole, or data table, right? In general, if there's a graphical way to show the data table, that might be better, but sometimes a data table is appropriate. But if you can't cut things out for one reason or another, at least draw like a nice red box or some sort of visual cue shaded in the things you want people to focus on to just make it easier for them to see it. And then last thing, we get to the end, the conclusions. So again, a schematic is great. If there's a diagram that brings it all together, that's great. But again, bullet points are okay. Avoid the paragraph for the conclusion, especially. And hopefully you've answered that hypothesis question in that previous section. Yeah, hopefully you have. But you know what? If you haven't, that's okay. You could have a future directions where you say, hey, we've learned a little bit about We've moved a little closer to answering this question, but here's some future things we could do. So so you want that hypothesis question to be kind of higher level, more important, not just, we wanted to find out if protein X is upregulated. Well, you know, it could be, right? So you could have your, your main question or your objective could be a really big thing that might be the arc of your entire thesis, right? But where you are right now, maybe you're addressing one little hypothesis, one little piece of that, right? So you could state both of those. But I think what's really effective is if, is if you get to the conclusion and then you bring the listener back to, hey, remember, this was my hypothesis. This is kind of what we learned. So here's how much closer we are to proving or disproving that hypothesis. So now my title is, Does Protein X Cure Cancer? Colon, the first gel. <laughs> Sounds like, like a Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Dan. So we've, we've talked a little bit. <laughs> Jar Jar's in the corner. <laughs> Everybody runs. He's in my acknowledgement section. Yeah. yeah. Um, which are some other things you can do. You can always put an acknowledgement section at the end with your funding, other labs you want to think. Um, one thing maybe. That's a little weird. I mean, so, so I think maybe listing um, people who contributed, maybe they're in the, the author section, right? Uh, yeah, it could be. I think a lot of times people will put like their funding. Um, I'd like there. to thank the Academy, my mom, <laughs> et cetera. But, here, but here's one thing you might want to consider putting that I have seen done fairly effectively is put your contact info. So important. Yeah, put your name, your email address, put your Twitter handle if you've got a professional Twitter. Uh, I've seen people put a little QR code for, you, if you want to download my poster, you just click right there, right? And you can get to it. Um, so, But certainly put, put who you are and how to get in touch with you. I think that's totally cool. All right, Dan, so the last thing I want to talk about, we've talked a lot about making a really great poster, but as we mentioned at the beginning, you don't want to overlook practicing your actual presentation and your delivery of that poster, all right? So the first thing, and this is obvious, is you want to practice. Um, Don't let the first time you go through your poster be when you're standing at your poster at the conference. Um, But importantly, when you practice, don't just practice with your lab, who, who else is going to listen to me, Josh? <laughs> well, I would ask you, Dan, if I had a poster. Well, well, and here's the reason why. Your lab hears about this stuff all the time, right? Do you like to get heckled, Josh? Because that's <laughs> how you get heckled. I mean, I'm not saying you should not listen to okay. it. You should not walk. You should go through it with your lab, but not just your lab. Because, you know, your lab, they're going to fill in a lot of gaps on their own. Because Mentally, they know your yeah, story. They yeah. know what you're talking about. So what is best is if you have a friend who knows a little bit about is comfortable hearing about science, but maybe they're not in your specific field, that might be a great person to walk through it because they might say, wait a second, how'd you get from, I don't quite understand how 
that gel tells you anything or that figure tells yeah, that, you anything that about that sounds really helpful to have somebody who's not so familiar with it to definitely. ask you those questions definitely um, and then what you want to do is you want to rehearse but don't memorize um, a five to seven minute explanation of your poster so really as you're practicing maybe the first time just have a little timer um, or the and first see how three long times. It took. Yeah, and see, how long did this take me? Oh, wow, it took me 13 minutes to get through it. Okay, I need to think about, was it because there was too much or I was bumbling a lot? So you really want to be able to go through the whole thing in about five to seven minutes. Um, and make sure that it flows from one idea to the next. And if it doesn't, you might need to change some things around. Nice thing about that length of a presentation it's easy to practice. So mm-hmm. if you're giving a 60-minute talk, oh, yeah. it's a big commitment to practice it even twice. Definitely. Uh, for a poster, you can rip through it two, three, four times and kind of get your time down, figure it out. Definitely. So you used to do theater, right? I did when I was in high school. Yeah, me too. And, and I know actually, Dan, you saw Hamilton recently. I did. Are you jealous? I'm very jealous. Uh, my wife's going to see Hamilton in a few weeks. Guess who's not? You, Josh. Two thumbs and not seeing Hamilton. <laughs> Couldn't sky. get the tickets. Couldn't get. Well, she's going with a friend um, who is a common friend that had one extra ticket and they did not oh, choose me. I see. Yeah. I see. Although, admittedly, my wife is a much bigger Hamilton fan than me. Um, so I will not be in the room where it happens. Oh, that's a okay. good reference. Thank you. So, but along the theater. Why are we line, talking about theater, Josh? <laughs> so that was a non uh, Is. You just wanted to show off that I went to see it or what? I did. I yeah. wanted to work that in. No, but this, there's a point to this. So what is a rule of of acting on stage? Uh, don't turn your back to the audience. Don't turn your back to the audience. Similarly, when presenting a poster, don't turn your back to your audience, right? You know, yeah, you're a host at a at a party. You are. And your guests are going to feel uh, however you make them feel, really. So as people walk up, they're either going to be left out as you don't make eye contact with them and turn your back to them. Exactly, yeah. And, and, you know, you're walking them through your poster, so certainly you are both looking at and referencing the poster, but what you want to avoid doing is completely turning, facing the poster with your back to the audience. You want to kind of have an open stance where you're sort of, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. Like a a meteorologist in front of the screen. You (laughs) kind of have to point without turning toward it. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it, Dan. And, you know, new people, hopefully, are going to walk up maybe in the middle while you're describing to one person. That's hard to manage. That is hard to manage. I mean, uh, in my experience, it's tough to keep going with the person who's asking the questions that you started with, bring in the person who just walked up, well, uh, managing those two different start times is tough. Definitely. And, and so I think what you want to do is you want to sort of welcome, acknowledge them you know, with your eyes. Like, oh. I see you. You do the, <laughs> you do the two fingers. Glare see, deeply. Got my them, eyes yeah. on you. But acknowledge you saw them, that you know you're going to get to them. Um, I will say the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to say, oh, hey, new person, or hey, person I've just been talking to for the last five minutes. You mind if we start over? So for this new guy that just not okay, him, yeah, don't do that, right? But chances are that new person they're going to kind of listen to what you're talking about, and then you finish and you say, okay, do you want me to start back from the beginning, or what do you want to talk about? You know, you almost like reset and say, so how much did you hear? How much do you know? Or, or yeah, where, where maybe like they showed up because they can't wait for you to be done, so you can take them from the beginning. Maybe they showed up because they already know a little bit about it and exactly. just wanted to hear the conclusion. Exactly. We should take the time to reiterate, Josh. You need to be present, you need to be excited, turn it up a little bit in terms of your your energy level, I think is the way I would describe it, so that people are engaged. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and if you think about it, you know, we talk a lot about graduate school and the research life, but giving a presentation, whether it's a poster presentation or a talk, really, is your chance to actually tell people about the thing that you spend 
eight to 10 hours a day, every day doing, right? So this is your work. Be proud of what you spend all your time doing. Be excited to tell people about it, and they'll be excited to hear about it. Make eye contact, smile, be enthusiastic, and be excited to share what you've been working on. Yeah, it's another, I mean, taking it back to, we were talking about acting. It's another thing I learned in acting. You get out there and you're just kind of saying your lines. You're saying the exact same words, but you, the audience falls asleep as opposed to getting out there with energy, even if it's not an exciting scene, there's, there's some aspect of coming out with enthusiasm that they pick up on. I can't, it's really hard to describe if you haven't done it both ways, but they will notice. And so you, you've got to kind of bring it to your poster. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can see a lot of posters and I am very willing to overlook you know, someone being nervous or someone making mistakes, if they seem like they're really interested and excited about what they're talking about, it helps me to be excited. Okay. Well, I have some follow on questions. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Um, and, and this is going to the dark side of science. Uh-oh. Posters sometimes are research that I haven't published yet. Right. So, how worried do I need to be about these ideas maybe getting picked up or scooped or run with by some other lab? Do I need to, to keep things out of my poster or? Should I assume that everybody's goodwilled and is going to let me take my time? Well, have you heard of cases? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually had one experience where as a graduate student, I was at, at a large microbiology meeting and I was working in a fairly small field. So there were only so many people uh, doing, and it was a relatively new field too. So everybody was still kind of doing similar things at that point. <laughs> and for the most part, everybody was pretty open and friendly, but there was this one one group from this one lab, and they would sort of come over to my poster and this other grad student in my lab's poster, and they would stay off at a distance with a notepad, and they would like scribble some things down, then they would walk away and never once came up and talked to us. It was so bizarre. And do you think they were trying to take ideas? I mean, what else would they be doing, right? I don't know. Now uh, it'd be easy. You just take a photo with your cell phone. I know, right? What are you saying? I was pre-cell phone kit? Yes. Yeah, that's they were like, carving into a tablet. <laughs> that's true. You know, I think that's hard to answer. It's going to depend on your field. It's going to depend on the type of work you do. I think that's a conversation that you have to have with your PI um, ahead of time who's going to know more about that. I think my general sort of naive free spirit probably mentality is, hey, man, free information, free science, just put your science out there and it's fine. Like it'll be okay. But, but I understand there are certain situations where that may not be the case. And I know some labs actually are working with patents and they're working with industry um, collaborations. And so I've been to some posters where the student will go through the experimental design, except instead of saying this, this is a specific protein we're looking at, they'll have like sort of a code protein one, two, three, four, right? So we don't, they don't tell me exactly what it is. I always kind of hate that, to be honest with yeah. you, but it, it feels it anti-science. Like the scientific community is about open communication, and it, that does feel weird. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I think I think the answer is thing. talk to your PI and make sure that the things you're showing are okay to publish, and maybe it'll encourage you to go a little bit faster. My philosophical answer is, I wish that we had a different publishing climate where sure. just because someone scooped you didn't mean, well, I totally can't publish this paper. And actually, that's something we should talk about on a future show. There are some journals um, that have instituted some policies where if you submit a paper where similar work has been published, but it's been really recent, like if you were scooped, they'll still publish it. Um, and they'll, they see value in sort of 
corroborating evidence to okay. a certain conclusion. So Okay, well, that's interesting. A topic for a future show. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask, nuts and bolts. I've got my PowerPoint file. It looks amazing. I've practiced it. Everybody's looked at it. How do I make it a physical thing? Yeah, so you're so you're ready. I to, used to I used to make individual PowerPoint slides, and I print out each slide, and then yeah. I like glue it to construction paper, or whatever. Right, Dan. I remember when we were first year graduate students, and the year was two thousand two, I believe, in the fall. Our posters were drawn in crayon. <laughs> well, do you remember there was a big ice storm the first week of December, and I the do, power yeah. went out for about a week, and we were supposed to have our end of rotation. Poster poster presentations, yep. right? Um, so I remember back in those days, there was less of the printing out. It was a very special occasion when you would print out the... Never, really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So for something like that, it was literally, like you said, printing out individual pieces of paper, each slide on a piece of paper, and then you... I don't know if you did you'd this. You'd pin them or glue them You or would something. cut out on... You'd get like construction cardstock of different colors, and you would paste it. It was like a science fair. Like a science like a fair. sixth grade science well, fair. Well, I remember cutting out the paper in the dark, in the cold, in my apartment, because we didn't have any power with these probably crummy scissors. And I presented my poster, and you know we had some judges who gave us feedback. On my feedback form, it said, presentation was good, content was good, but it looked like his five-year-old brother helped him cut it out. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> That's literally what it said. Wow. <laughs> like, I had no power. So anyway, yeah, but I think what you want to do, there are plenty of places you can print um, these full-size posters. There are companies, there are So it's, it's on just done on a printers. giant plotter like an architect would use. or a- Yeah, yeah, but one, one important thing, though, if you are going that route, printing it on the big printer, is make sure you convert, if you do it in PowerPoint or Illustrator, convert to a PDF first just to ensure something weird doesn't happen with formatting or a font or a, or a symbol or figure. Kinko's FedEx does this? Yeah, they do, actually. Okay. Yeah, I think any Kinko's FedEx will do it, too. I mean, yeah. this is me just asking because it's been so long yeah. since I had to plot anything. Yeah, you know, maybe. it really is different, Dan, than when we were there. Like like I said, today, actually, it's very interesting, the story I just told. The posters that I went to today were the end-of-rotation poster presentations. Everyone was printed on a big And how paper. much do you sub- suppose it costs? Um, I would say anywhere from, assuming your department does not have a printer, which some do, I would say in the 30 to $50 range. Okay, so it's, it's not yeah. inexpensive for a graduate student to be printing. Now, hopefully posters. your lab will pay for it. Okay. Um, but hopefully your lab will pay for right. it. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, thanks, Josh. I mean, that was, I think that was really helpful to, to go step by step through the poster to find out some of the common ways that people make mistakes, the ways that they fail, the ways that they do better. And you definitely have a lot of experience and have been to good ones and bad ones. Yeah, I mean, really, I would. I wish I could go back and I wish I made more posters now because I go see so many, post, so many student posters now throughout the year. You know, I would give a much better poster presentation now than I ever did when I was a, new, a student. A new career for you, poster creator. Oh, I could be a poster consultant. Yeah. Professional poster stylist. That'd be great. All right, Dan. Well, that was fun. How's your bourbon holding up? Delicious. Yeah, very good. Warms you up on a cold night. It sure does. And I think it might have stopped raining, so that's a good sign. That's good for you to walk back out to your car here in a minute. All right, Dan. Well, if you have a question or topic idea, not you, but our listeners... 
Oh, I have questions and topic ideas, Josh. <laughs> we would love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd or leave us a message on the Facebook this page. This is really going to increase the number of emails we get because I think in all the previous weeks, people assume you're talking to me when you say if you have a question. Maybe that's why we don't get any emails, Dan. <laughs> we get plenty of emails. And ironically, you're the one who checks the email. Yep. I never check it. That's so weird. Have you been emailing yourself? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. Uh, if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We certainly love to get the feedback. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron, just like Megan. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we will give you access to our patron-only Slack channel. And also, we certainly would appreciate the beer money, thanks to the ongoing support of our patrons. All right, and don't forget, uh, submit your art to the promega.com slash art contest, Josh. Maybe just send your whole poster because it's such a beautiful work of art. It's a work of art. And and let us know when you do that. We would love to know who's making yeah, we we like, it. We'd, like to to yeah, yeah, we'd like to see some of these things. So tweet to us as well. Definitely. All right, Dan. Well, we will be back at you at our next episode. We'll see you then, Josh.